Happy Tuesday, everyone. Hope you had a good Monday, good start to the week. Uh, My dad is uh, going to, so he's retired, you know, air quotes there, retired. And uh, he's, he's a retired school superintendent. And so because of the whole like pension system, and I know you guys are like, pension, yeah, well, it is what it is, right? And uh, he's definitely earned. He's worked very hard in his career. But uh, part of his pension rules is he can only work in the role that he retired from for a certain number of hours every year. And so he retired. There was a school district that needed an interim superintendent. He went and uh, worked there and uh he'll be done here soon in the next few weeks and uh he didn't know what he's going to do with himself someone came calling and they said hey we really want you to come back for a semester in a role that doesn't you know violate the terms of his pension and uh we're only going to make you work three days a week and you can choose your three days and so we were talking about what three days he should choose and uh, the consensus of everyone was Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. That way you can avoid the Mondays. And, um, you know, if you take Friday off, now you can just stack it onto your Saturday, Sunday. And you got a four-day weekend every week. And so uh, that's a pretty sweet deal. But I'm guessing you listening in, you do not get four-day weekends every week. You probably already slugged it out on Monday. Here we are on Tuesday, and uh, your week's already a little bit better because you're that much closer to hopefully some some hunting time coming up on the weekend. Uh, but I am joined by a local friend, Ronnie Hemsworth. I won't say where exactly he's from. You guys probably have me pegged. You probably have gone on Spartan Forge, figure out where I live, where what I. You know where I'm hunting and all that stuff. I get it, but you know I'm just I don't want to be too obvious. You know, don't want to do any spot burning on any of the local public areas, or even maybe some permission pieces that Caleb and I lock up. Um, yes, I said Caleb because he's probably the one that locked up the permission for us. He's the world's best permission seeker. But uh, Ronnie uh, lives close by. Um, he brought a buck that we're going to talk about along with him tonight. Got to see that. Um, he's killed a couple of really nice whitetails the past past two seasons and uh, so we'll talk a little bit about that but uh for this episode this pick and bones episode we're going to talk about which is cooler and this is going to be very scientific we're going to account for all of our controls and and uh variables that uh, need to be considered when uh you know running some kind of scientific test on on a very definable um uh, piece of data which is which is cooler um, we're going to talk about though mule deer versus whitetails uh, we both have hunted both and killed both within the last few months here and uh, so I figured you know we're, we're somewhat qualified we're not hardened like you know we haven't killed like 20 of each and be like you know and on mule deer buck you know, 17, I know, you know, it's not going to be that we had, you know, we'll admit that, but, um, what do you think, Ronnie? I mean, like, let's, let's just jump right at it. What do you think? Which do you think is cooler? Muleys or whitetails? If it's, if it's just simply answering the question, I'd say whitetails, but it's not, it's like one of those questions that, uh, 
it, it deserves a more of an explanation. Yeah. So maybe even just to start off, you know, you mentioned that we were going to be doing this. I have a question for you. Yeah. Yeah. Why did you go on your mule deer hunt? That is a very good question. <laughs> it certainly wasn't because I thought I was going after something that was less cool. Um, I, uh, I wanted something different really, you know, I wanted a chance at, at a new species and, you know, like you can get some of that thrill when you, especially when you like get into like uh, small game hunting, you know, like, Oh, you know, I'll take a break from deer season. I'm going to go yeah. hunt some squirrels or something, but like there's something about big game, you know what I mean? Oh, and, for sure. and being able to, chase a different kind of deer that would that really appealed to me yeah if i if i have a deer tag in my pocket i'm not hunting anything else yeah unless i have like a real good friend it's like hey you know let's do this (laughs) like okay you can convince me but for me it's like grew up whitetail hunting Mm -hmm. hunting for me is whitetail hunting i'll do some other stuff just to fill the time a little bit there yeah um but I guess I asked that question because it's a question I wonder myself with. I've I've gone mule deer hunting uh, once, but probably been on Western backpacking trips, and I went elk hunting in 2014, maybe three backpacking trips. Mm-hmm. So I, I kind of wonder if my fascination with mule deer isn't like a lure maybe is a good word mm-hmm. uh, for where I'm hunting them too. Um, sure. So I was hunting in Colorado, 2,500 foot elevation along the Continental Divide. Yeah. And you're hunting in Nebraska. Yep. You know, kind of like Sand Hills stuff. So yeah. a very different terrain. Yep. Um, I guess when I think of mule deer versus whitetail, whitetail is known. Mm-hmm. And mule deer for me is the unknown. Yeah, kind of a mystery. Right. So when it comes down to the actual deer itself... I think whitetail are cooler. Yeah. I mean, it, I love antlers. Every single one's different. We were yeah, admiring some of your bucks uh, in there, and they're totally different. I suppose the same is with muley, but I think it's especially so with whitetail. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I never thought of it that way, but there's obviously great variance between a muley rack and a whitetail rack. Like, you can just tell instantly when you look at them, right? Mm-hmm. A little more spindly. Um, those crazy forks, you know, sometimes you have like forks on forks kind of. Yeah. And those Um, are like distinctively cool. Right. But when you're looking, and then there are some exceptional muleys that are real gnarly, but like the bases on your buck. Yeah. Like. Yeah. That's a, that's a great point. I've never heard anybody make that point, but yeah, when you, you think of like a muley shed compared to a whitetail shed, you definitely like, if you find a lot of sheds, you definitely are going to have like probably 30% of your sheds that you're going to be very like typical, very cookie cutter, you know, basket rack. For whitetail. Yeah. For yeah. White. But there's, that's still like 70% of them are going to be totally different from each other. You know, right. they have little extra stickers and kickers and yeah. stuff. I've, you know, one of the coolest sheds I've found is probably off like a two and a half year old buck, which yeah. would have been a standard eight. It has seven points on one side. That's and crazy. they're like two, baby giant. Like two inches. Baby giant. Yeah. yeah. And I hunted that property and never got a picture or saw it, but I was like, yeah. I, I, I called it. I was like, if we ever see this buck, we're going to call it Jawbone just because there's so <laughs> yeah. many points in there. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's cool. But, yeah, that's a that's a great point. The the rack variation. 
And they're, you know, hardcore Muley guys listen and be like, oh, no, you guys need to see. And you're probably right. Yeah, we, we do need to see more. But I think just in general from the box that I've seen both in person, taxidermy, in pictures, and videos, yeah, I'd say there's definitely more variants in whitetails yeah. than in, in, in muleys. Yeah. What else you got? What what, what are your other reasons? Well, uh, it's kind of always been, I try not to set, t- and I've, I've learned this, mm-hmm. to, to have more of dreams than goals. Yeah. Like, ha- and, and, and I guess make your goals things that you can control. So there's so much in hunting. We were already talking about this before we started that you can't control. Right. Uh, and I, I've learned that from having maybe some poor goals. Uh, you know, I want to shoot a big deer so that people can see it or whatever. Yeah. But one of the goals or dreams, right, mm-hmm. <laughs> I've had since I was a little kid is I thought it would be cool to do like the North American deer slam. Oh, yeah. Like, so you're shooting Sitka, Blacktail, Coors or Cows deer yeah. meal deer white look at tail. that he's a he's a true student of the yeah of the deer species so he, knew like, he knew there's controversy even within the name so I, I was the kid that was just <laughs> obsessed with hunting growing up in minnesota yeah. you have to wait till you're 12 uh, so i i literally checked out and read every single book in the library watched <laughs> awesome. every vhs yep. you know and so i'd seen these hunts and it was like this far away adventurous place yeah uh, so with that kind of background like Mule deer hunting is inseparable for me with like allure or adventure or somewhere far away, something yeah. unknown. So it's kind of hard for me to even say which I think is cooler. Yeah. You know, whitetail is known. I There's lots to learn, mm-hmm. but I have it figured out. Like I know how to go in and kill a nice whitetail. Yeah. I don't know how to do that with mule deer. Yeah. Even after hunting. Yeah. And then to follow that up with – uh the first time I went out west, we went elk hunting in 2014 and put in a few minute tags and didn't draw and saw, like, I kid you not, the night before opener, a world-class muley. Oh, like, man. the stuff out of Cabela's and stuff. Yeah. Like, I couldn't even believe it. And it was grazing at 100 yards. And we watched it for, like, an hour. Oh. Just stupid huge. I just, like, the awe of that was, like, there aren't whitetail with a frame like that yeah like yep. even the world-class ones yeah and then to make it worse opening morning we go out and a big non-typical muley comes by at 100 yards oh we just have to sit there and watch it well i hope you uh, dropped a few pins man because you need yeah. to get back there with the muley tag and it's and not uh it's not a spot that's supposed to be good with muleys but that's how it works you don't yeah, have the yeah. tag so you see them yeah you wonder <laughs> almost yeah you almost wonder if, at what point when enough like you can go through and and uh, put together your hunt plan, or or use somebody like Alex from East West Hunts, and he's pouring over data on you know trophy trophy success rate in these different units, or, or you know even portions of units, and uh, putting together a great hunt plan on that, which is awesome. But after years of people doing that, it almost starts to select for the non-trophy units start to become the trophy units because they're getting overlooked and less pressure and these deer are either migrating in or they're just allowed to get to a trophy age class and yeah that's that's interesting for sure yeah the other part about mule deer 
and, I, and I'm, we've already talked a little bit about is where they are. Like for me, Western hunting is adventure. It's also, we'll probably talk about this more, but a challenge or a test for yourself. Oh yeah. Uh, so there's like, when I think about mule deer hunting, there's all these other factors that flow into it mm-hmm. uh, that are interesting. Yeah. What Western hunting a lot of the time is devoid of wildlife. Yeah. That's the thing that strikes me. You can look out there for thousands of acres and there is not a living thing bigger than the mosquitoes right. on, on your just, neck. Yeah. You know, it's just, there's the scale of the West. Yeah. It's just mind blowing <laughs> for a Midwesterner, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And so whereas whitetail country, usually, you know, you're almost tripping over them when it's the right time, you know? Yeah. And, and, and even out West, that can be the case too. When I went on a bear hunt in 20, in 22, spring of 22, you know, you're, when you're bear hunt, spot and stock bear hunting, you are looking for a needle in a haystack because it's just so the vegetation is so thick yeah. up in Northwest Montana. But we'd go down into the valleys, you know, when we were driving around and stuff and where our base camp was and see whitetails all over the place. You know what I mean? Down in the, yeah, I've spent four weeks in Colorado either backpacking or or hunting and I've never seen one and I've seen pretty much every other big game species in Colorado. Yeah. Is you, are black bears you're saying you never saw? No, no bears at all. Wow. And I've heard that Colorado is absolutely loaded with bears. Yeah. And I mean, we weren't targeting them. Right. But I, yeah, you'd still expect to. It's like like when you're driving and you're always looking for deer. You know, it's like you just, you have that mindset of looking for animals and I've never seen them. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's interesting for sure. Yeah. It's a totally different thing. That, that's kind of, so that's kind of how I've viewed it as well. Like they're living in a different spot that is, I think, more challenging to live in. Oh yeah. Muleys are, I think, you know, they're at elevation. You kind of mentioned that, um, in Northwest Nebraska where Caleb and I were hunting them, we noticed that they liked, you know, these rocky coolies that were, you know, further away from human presence really. And, uh, whereas the whitetails are down in the river bottoms. And I mean, from what we saw exclusively down in the river bottoms, they might, you know, like when we first pulled up to our first ranch that we hunted, there were some, uh, deer, some whitetails that were bedded on the other side of the property line. And so as soon as we pulled up, they jumped over the property line and ran back up into the hills where you'd expect to find muleys, but I'm sure they just looped right back around and came down to the bottom. Yeah. And uh, another day when we were driving back into that that ranch that we had permission to hunt, um, there was a the second rut was going on, which was really cool to see. Um, there was a nice whitetail buck, like just following these three does around, and they kind of spooked from us driving by, and they so they ran up into the hills, and we actually tried to put a stalk on them. But by the time we got up there, which was maybe an hour and a half later, they were already gone back down into the the bottoms, you know. So they, the whitetails, they seem to avoid that hardcore terrain, you know. 
And part of that is like just a physical adaptation of being able to, you know, like the bounding of the, yeah. the muleys, which is an awesome thing. And I love that. That's one of my favorite things about mule deer is the way they, they bound. Yeah. They just kind of, <laughs> and they, man, can they cover ground when yeah. they do that? They just go right up those, did you, those bluffs. Did you notice like an actual like muscle proportion difference? Mm. Cause it, like, definitely when we were butchering the buck that I shot, those rear haunches were way more developed than a whitetail. Yeah. We, what I noticed was um, the body s- seemed shorter than a whitetail's. Um, the um, legs seemed tighter, like. like um, more compact. Kind more of. compact, kind of like to the frame of the body, yeah. you know? And uh, I, th- you could just see like this is a springy animal, yeah. you know what I mean? And but then like into the neck, Caleb remarked multiple times while we were um, butchering. He's like, "Man, the neck meat on these things is almost non-existent yeah. compared to a white." That's tail. how it was on mine, but and I don't suspect that mine was a very old buck. Yeah, but, but still, you I can mean, like uh, and I ours were just those literally four times as much neck mass yeah 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 and I mean, it's not even a comparison right i right. couldn't believe we i two different times i saw a, a group of muleys one of them we bumped them the other one was natural movement scale stuff mm-hmm. rock stuff that i was yeah. like i can't believe that yep like i was like i don't know that i could get up that right and they go up in just seconds yeah that, that, that bounding that, I mean, I yeah. thought we were hunting a basin, and I was like, here's where they can get out, and here's where yeah. they can get out as we're doing this stock. Nope, this went right over the top, and I was like, <laughs> okay. Yeah, they're 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 not constrained to what we Whereas are here. Whereas whitetails so often take the path of least resistance. Yeah, that's a good you know? point. But it'd be interesting to hunt them in an environment like you had where you have them both right there. Yep. You know, I, and I know people that hunt them will talk about the differences when I was in – Colorado hunting them, I was noticing more similarities. Yeah. Even like, okay, there's still a deer. Yep. Like I've got to, I can use a lot of my whitetail knowledge. Oh, yeah. To to apply to hunting this. Yeah, definitely. In fact, when Caleb killed his deer, um, it was rut activity going on. We had to pat, we were on the, this ranch that we had permission on, we weren't allowed to shoot any muley bucks, the landowner. Landowners wanted those opportunities for themselves, which is totally understandable. Yeah. Not upset about was it. Was your at tag all. good for both? Yep. And and uh so we had we 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 actually were hunting near these uh big alfalfa bales and somebody had planted all these cedar trees right near these bales and we're like Phew. Yeah now here's something we're familiar with (laughs) you know and and uh so we climbed into those cedar trees and we basically turned a mule deer hunt into a whitetail right and do what you know exactly and it worked caleb caleb gets a shot at 50 yards on this doe and she was being trailed just like you'd see for whitetails you had the dominant buck that was closest and you had the subordinate buck that's like 50 yards behind just hoping for an opportunity you know and uh that that was exactly like what you see during the whitetail rut right. you know 
And, and so there was definitely those similarities. Now, the thing that I have heard multiple times, um, this guy keeps getting shout outs on the podcast. He's actually going to co-host some episodes in the future. Um, but, uh, he's just so dang cool. That's why I, uh, always talk about him and he, he knows his stuff. He lives in Nebraska. He's a rancher in Nebraska, Nate Dodson. Um, he talked about how muleys avoid whitetails a lot of the time, the bucks especially, because the whitetail bucks are more aggressive. And I think maybe that neck muscle we were talking about, yeah. you know, just where you have, they have so much power when they're fighting. Yeah. Um, you know, just think of a rutted up buck neck, you know, white tail yeah. buck neck. You just, they're just so nuts. So you get a good some, age and yeah. it's like a bull. Yeah, I it mean, is. You, yeah. You're like, where does the neck end and the shoulders <laughs> That's start, right. you know, bulging That's out at the head? That's right. And, and, uh, so he talks about, you know, they just go in there and they just, and they just kick the butts of those muley bucks and, and push yeah. them out of the area. And, um, I, I think that's really cool about whitetails. Did you see that video that was circulating like two weeks ago where somebody, they were living in an area where there's both whitetails and, and muleys. I, I think that's what it was. I think one was a whitetail and I think the other was a muley. I'm going to have to double check. I might be telling you guys false information right now, but I'm pretty sure it was a whitetail and a muley buck. And that whitetail just kicked the snot out of this muley huh. had him down on yeah. the ground there's basically the same size i've never size. seen a video of them fighting each other i think that's what it was and the whitetail just start, kept goring him over and yeah. over i mean had him pinned up against the house and, and huh. it, was, it was like a nature is metal type thing yeah but but it was it, it was you know it, it, I, I was just thinking of what nate said while i was watching that but i might be wrong it might have been two muleys or two whitetails yeah. or something but I'm but not. um yeah, so the the more aggressive and um you know there's other there's another famous video where that circulates every now and then where it's must be some game ranch or game right. farm down in Texas where this guy's got all sorts of stuff in there and he's got a white tail and uh like a bighorn sheep and the bighorn picks a fight with yeah, so this white tail. Yeah, you want to avoid that. Yeah. <laughs> And, and, you know, when you're watching it, you're like, man, those Rams, you know, they get going pretty fast. They got yeah. big old heads on them. They're, they're nice and compact. You got some, yeah. some mass behind them. You know, this would be interesting. That whitetail destroyed. That's surprising. That Ram. I mean, like, like, uh, and not only it was like hell his own, like went into attack mode and kept chasing this thing. Lifted him up from behind with his antler, yeah. you know, like like. There's some good like fighting boxing analogies there. Some yeah, the Rams right. just got the one punch, which is impressive. <laughs> right, like if he lands that, it's bad news. But. Yeah, but but yeah, you know, whitetails they're just when it's when they're fighting, it's just so violent and yeah. so so powerful that you know that's kind of another one of those things that tips them in favor yeah. for me over over the muleys, you know, just. They're, they're just such a powerful, majestic animal that isn't really, you know, in one way they're afraid of everything. You know, deer are always running away from who of us walks in the woods thinking, oh, I sure hope that a buck doesn't come, you know, gore me that, while I'm walking in the dark here. You know, no, it doesn't even enter your I, mind because if you, you know, the old bump and dump, you sneak up on a giant yeah. buck, he's running out of there, yeah. you know. 
But I, I, that being said, once they're going, once they're engaged in battle, oh yeah. it's to the death. Yeah, two, a lot of times. Two years ago, I shot a really nice, mature, heavy ten-point whitetail. Heart shot him. It was kind of right at dusk, and where he was standing, I, I knew he stopped there. And I, I think was I like, saw that video. Was that early sure. Mars? No, this is a bow. Okay, bow kill. Uh, yeah, I do have a video of it, but the. I came back hour later or whatever to check it and, you know, kind of sneaking up, feeling real, you know, confident. So found the arrow first, yeah. you know, good blood and walk out and there's kind of a little CRP opening and there I thought he was standing and I was like, no way. Like, and so I just, I'm not sure, you know, so yeah. I'm not doing anything. I'm just standing there and I realized it's a different buck and he's actually standing over the buck I killed and I, I literally walked out in the open after watching him for a while to like 20 yards and he just stood there like looking at me, didn't care at all. And I, like at some point I was like, okay, this is getting a little uncomfortable, you right, know, like yeah. you're supposed to be running away, you know? And so I kind of had to, ah, yeah, shoo him off yeah. and he left, but I was like, could have gotten hairy. Yeah. yeah. I was like, he, he would have. Yeah, if a buck care. Yeah, if a mature buck wanted to just ram you, you'd be you'd be so yeah, so screwed. I yeah. mean, he would just mow you right down. So, yeah, you know, the, just the powerful, the aggression, the the fights, the you know, the cool antlers, like you said, and uh, you know, the other thing about whitetails, they may not go to like that hardcore rocky terrain, but they are so good at adapting to oh, yeah. their environment. I mean, think of how many states have whitetails compared to how many states have yeah. mule deer. They're just better at living yeah. than mule deer are. They're just, they, they uh, you know, when you're hunting them, you better get a good shot on them. Yeah. Well, because, you have two species that have faced the same challenges. Yeah. And, you know, whitetail are obviously succeeding in a lot more locations. Right. Yeah. In fact, are. in a lot of places, mule deer are kind of, you know, um, I think it was uh, the late uh, Valerius Geist who did a lot of uh, wildlife research in general, but did a lot of um, research on, on mule deer. And what I loved about Val Geist was he wasn't afraid to make like some pretty bold predictions. Yeah. And I think one of the things, and I might, you know, I hope I'm right here, but I'm pretty sure it was him. He talked about how, um, you know, within a certain amount of time, based on what trends we'd see with population dynamics, it was it was reasonable to think that mule deer weren't going to be around forever. You know, they're going to... Well, whitetails were close to that in the early 1900s. Yeah, that's true. Yep. A lot of... Commercial hunting. Lot of, and... Well, Iowa ran out of their deer. Yeah. And um, I think it was think had, Wisconsin, uh, Minnesota... At one point, Nebraska. Iowa only had one known herd. I believe, well, I believe they I read went, they even I think went under that and then but it was a very short window Do you remember of that era right around the, you said right right around early, the early 1900s, 1900s. Yeah. and there was a guy who um so there's a book it's called a country so full of game that talks about this stuff there was a guy who lived like in western Iowa on the, the Nebraska border who like so I think there was like a maybe a year or two where yeah there's probably not any deer in Iowa. Yeah. And then this guy got a a small herd that he kind of farmed 
You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Like kept him in a pen in Iowa. You got him from Nebraska, I think. Okay. And then one day gate got bumped open or left open there or something. They, <laughs> they, they, they jumped back in into the wild. And then, um, right shortly thereafter too, Iowa got some deer from Wisconsin and Minnesota, I believe. And so it was kind of like that pen population. Yeah. And then these other states giving us some yeah. deer, we repopulated. It's interesting so. to see like the volatile nature of the herd population. Like you see these EHD things or mm. uh, my, my family, uh, my mom's side of the family, kind of where I grew up hunting, northern Minnesota, like mm-hmm. way northern Minnesota, has just been destroyed by timber wolves. Mm. Even in my really 20 years of hunting when I was a kid, I mean, I remember one year that, that they have a big farm and I've, I think 28 first cousins so oh, be wow. a, just on my mom's side. So there's a lot there. No, not all of them are old enough to hunt, but there's a lot of people hunting and we took like 30 deer or something off of their farm wow. as a family unit, you know, yeah. awesome camaraderie hunting, you yeah. know, uh, like this year, I think I only heard of like two Yeah, and you, you used to be able to go out and count 60 deer on a field. And now I think my cousin said four or five is the most he's seen on a field. That's crazy. There's snow. You go in, you just find tracks everywhere, and they're beef mm-hmm. farmers, so they're always encountering these wolves and mm-hmm. just. You know, yeah, that's interesting. Uh, and from a wolf standpoint, I believe Minnesota is the only state that has never lost its wolf population. I mean, I'm, okay, sure, it, yeah. I'm sure it took a big Yeah, and I think even that. when I was a kid, the – population was way down i want I, yeah i don't imagine. i don't keep track of the endangered list but i know it was a concerning number sure uh, that's super rebounded though yeah at well, least in maybe in isolated Northern midwest you know places wisconsin and, same deal and they it, they're the same wolves yeah i just saw a thing from uh, somebody that was i don't know, assume is a deer is a wolf association thing or something where one was uh collared in michigan and was shot in winnipeg Okay, or actually, I don't yeah. know it was shot. It was found deceased. Yeah. Uh, but it had gone all through Wisconsin and even like mm. kind of close to Minneapolis. Wow. Uh, and so some central Minnesota and then came back up through. But yeah, yeah definitely. Uh, yeah. All, all sorts of things that factor in. And I'm glad you brought up the EHD thing. Um, I'm hoping to get uh, a good friend, uh, Jace Elliott state whitetail biologist back on the podcast here soon to talk about just um you know what do we do with this ehd problem that for parts of the state has been going on for a few years now other than praying for rain (laughs) yeah you're right right yeah anecdotally i've been hearing a lot of guys making the observation and i've had other friends contact me saying hey i i talked to all these guys who were out gun hunting and um they all said man we saw way less deer this year i think there's more in in all of these cases there's multiple factors at play yeah there's multiple we can't identify them all and anecdotal evidence surely is not as good as a scientific study right but it is worth something yeah and anecdotally i agree with that i saw less mature bucks this year than I normally do. I saw less deer in general than what I normally do. Yeah. Um, and that includes 
you know, being out driving around includes, um, uh, you know, time in the tree stand, time, you know, going to and from the tree stand. It's just been less deer. And, you know, as good as, and this might be a good way to wrap this episode up, as good as um, deer are at surviving, like we were just talking about with whitetails especially, as you mentioned, really not that long ago, they were gone. You know, we 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 were able to remove them from the state in pretty quick time frame. And I don't by any means think that we're going to lose our deer herd to EHD. However, if we get enough EHD bad years, Another thing that we kind of have going against us right now is uh, because our uh, our politicians can't get along ever. Um, we don't have a we don't have a new farm bill. We don't have a new federal budget passed yet, and so fall enrollment for CRP, which is a huge factor for why our deer rebounded in our state so well because for a long time when they, when they restocked Iowa, you know, my grandpa has lived on this farm for 84 years. He doesn't remember when he first saw deer, you know, they just kind of showed up probably in the seventies or eighties, but they restocked them in like the, you know, the teens or the twenties. But for this super long period of time, there were people talked about, uh, you know, hey, I saw a deer track the other day. Yeah. You know, and we're talking down in like Fairfield, you know, whitetail yeah. cap Haven. of the world. Yeah. Plenty you of know? cover. Right. And but at that time there was no CRP. There was there there was more diverse cropping done at that time. You know, you had a four crop rotation, corn beans, uh oats and and um alfalfa. Uh, but you know all the timber was grazed mostly by hogs and, and cattle. Oh, yeah. You know, you had plowing right up to the creek, you know, creek banks and stuff like that. You did have hedgerows, which are great and good for wildlife. But you had all this this different land use that was not conducive to wildlife habitat. Boom, late 1980s come. We get all these CRP acres that start showing up, and that has – you know, so so think about, and of course, there's going to be a point of exponential population growth, just as a population is recovering itself. But it is interesting that during that same time is really when we saw such a huge growth right. in the whitetail population. Yeah, it was, once we got all this habitat, it back. was growth with habitat. Right. Yeah, at the same time. Right, and so now we have. There were, there's definitely CRP that's getting planted this fall, which is great, but it's from the people who already had rollout. That, that's already, how it works. It, You're they, they got it for right. A, they got yeah. it locked in back in this past spring. Okay, but is it? Do you have to actually renew it every year? Uh, no, okay. just just if uh, like let's say. Let's say you own a farm and you're like, man, you know, these acres over here, it's yeah. just a pain to get back in there, and, and yields are always kind of poor. I'm just going to CRP it. Yeah. It'd be, well, I've heard of it being like it's got it's in CRP for five years or 10 years. Just, I'm just throwing usually. out a number. Yeah. yeah. So, okay. Yeah. So every 10 years you gotta, you gotta renew your right. contract. Okay. 
And um, what can happen if there's not a good enough rate through an uh, up-to-date farm bill, then there's, you know, if, if just incentivize them more, to do right, something different. Right, exactly. And so I, my whole point in all of this is I don't think, let me be clear, I don't think that this is the end of great deer hunting or, you know, even maybe don't hunt deer. Right. Great seeing deer. There's just challenges that. It's two challenges yeah. that could, could could have an effect, and certainly EHD I think has. You know, there's a guy over uh, in in a county next to us right now that I've heard from multiple people now that really know what's going on in the whitetail world. He owns 1,200 acres, lost 300 deer on his 1,200 acres. Uh, that's incredible. Tell me that that guy's not feeling like it's 1915, right? Yeah, now, you know, uh, when he goes out to hunt, start stacking that up. You know, on a yeah. in a bigger scale. I do you, think it's, and I don't know the numbers, but like I think 2012 maybe was a really bad EHD yes, year. Yep, terrible the ability year. now of the herd to to rebound though. Yep. And for I mean, next year he's going to have deer back in there if if they've got the habitat things for him. Right. Right. And another good thing too is there are a handful of deer that survive EHD. Oh yeah. And they help provide. Um, it seems to immunity be. Oh. within the okay. Like I think it, I think it's you know obviously it's general health. Yeah, I had, but also I, don't I think know. there's something in those deer DNA that help them overcome it. Yeah, and so then when they survive and reproduce, the herd gets you know through that natural selection process. Right. Oh, all the deer that are terrible at surviving EHD, they're dead. Right. All the deer that can survive it, they're still alive. Uh-huh. You know that helps strengthen the herd in that way so there is some you know there's some advantage in that way too and the other thing is too it's not like ehd is a new thing it's been been here as long as we you know as far as we know forever and and um you know deer have have continued on but you know it's not to say either that you know with eight billion of us on this planet now we can have some serious effect on on how things happen and we got to be wise in that you know we got to make sure that we're supporting the deer by having good habitat by um you know harvesting in a responsible way um you know one of the things that i think i think iowa has the standard to beat as far as what uh, wildlife management goes i think our dnr does a fantastic job but remember too a lot of what they do has to be reactionary Oh yeah, they try to be right. preemptive in yeah. in what they're doing, but but so let's say they you know let's go with uh, Monroe County, uh, Monroe County, Iowa has been mentioned several in several places ever since EHD started showing up this year as one of the worst hit counties in Iowa. Well. Monroe County also had a huge, you know, antlerless quota this year. You know, you could basically buy all well, the tags was you it like wanted. Twenty five hundred or something. Yeah, something yeah. crazy like that. Yeah, and that was set based on last year's harvest right. data and and bow hunter surveys. And um, by the way, sorry, Jace, I still got to send mine in. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the uh that data helps them decide those quotas but then all of a sudden be, you know those quotas yeah. are set let's say back in you know 
Well, it's even going as late as like August. Well, there's a lot of EHD that can hit between August and right. October one. Yeah. You know, and even in Colorado, where the like the northwest portion had really bad winter kill this year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So even as I'm planning this hunt, they're talking about how much they're going to cut tags. Yeah. Uh, you know, Same I, thing in Nebraska. I assume the next year though. So all these people are like, do I even want to apply in that area? You right. Know? And, right. And so. If it's going to be a reactionary thing, and some states do a good job of like buying back tags if there's a bad wildfire or something like that, and maybe Iowa can can start looking at that with bad EHD years. Um, but that's kind of almost on us then as hunters to be like, hey, I know they don't have this data yet to set these quotas. Yeah, I've seen that there's this many dead deer i've had friends tell me there's this many dead deer i've you know on and on i know that deer are hurting in this area i might just i might eat that tag yeah. you know what i mean and and so or just go somewhere else right yeah yeah, yeah. or go somewhere else yeah so it's it's uh you know i think it's all something worth considering man did we get a long ways off of what's cooler <laughs> Whitetails, mule deer, you decide. There's yeah. a lot of good things there. Um, uh, also, we didn't mention that muleys just have those awesome, crazy ears. Yeah. I, lo- I love those giant bunny ears on them. Yeah. But, but uh, so many cool things about both species. I, re- I really have a hard time choosing one. But I think if somebody uh, put a gun to my head and said, Kent, you have to choose one. No, not even that. You have to give one up for the rest of your life. I think I would say muleys Easy. and, 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 <laughs> and even if Iowa had muleys, I think I would still say muleys. I, I just love whitetails. And to me, as far as wildlife in America goes, there's some really American species out there Yeah. to me, none more American than the whitetail deer. Totally agree. And so I think it's, uh, I, it's, it's, it's to me cooler than even the muleys, but, why don't you uh, write in, let us know what you think. Nate Dodson, I want to know what you think. I know you're listening to this, buddy. So uh, I'll, maybe I'll read uh, Nate's uh, synopsis on this, or maybe we'll just get him on to talk about it sometime. But but um, write in, let me know what you think, which is cooler. Give me your reasons. Tell me why I'm wrong. Um, Ronnie's a guest, so you can't tell him why he's wrong. But, but, but uh, no, tell us what you think. Love to hear it. Um, do you remember this podcast is presented by Spartan Forge. Spartan Forge is one of the most valuable tools that I use on a regular basis. I use it, um, well, Caleb and I used it a ton for planning our Nebraska hunt that we just did. And um, we're using it even now as we're looking at this late muzzleloader season and trying to put plans together for that. But I also use it for work quite a bit. We're in our dormant seeding phase of um, of uh, our you know seasonal work, I guess you would say, at Hoxie Native Seeds, and we uh, have customers that we plant for. And uh, one of the things I love about planting season is you got to go out into the middle of nowhere to uh, plant CRP. And um, there's kind of roads. <laughs> there's a lot of two tracks and, and lanes and stuff that we got to navigate down. I just pull up Spartan Forge, drop a pin, and I can easily navigate there. So you can even use it for stuff like that. But, of course, also... Uh, the, uh, deer behavior prediction, how to predict deer movement, um, 
thousands of years of whitetail radio collar data is used in doing that prediction. Bill sifts through it with artificial intelligence that he designed to uh, match that data with your exact location and tell you, hey, these are the conditions going on there today. Then this is what you can expect for deer movement based on radio collar data. And it is crazy accurate. If you want all that, you can go to the link in the show notes for Spartan Forge and you can sign up for a subscription. You can either do monthly or I like to do the year-long one. You save a little bit of money and I just use Spartan Forge all throughout the year. So strongly suggest that you do that. If you just want to kind of test the waters with it, you can uh, sign up for the free version and that works great too. You get some of the valuable mapping information, which includes landowner information, which is why a lot of people get uh, mapping services, uh, for hunting. Uh, but the difference is those companies charge you money. Spartan Forge will give it to you for free. But I think once you try that, you're going to want to go with the paid full version. So again, you can find a link for that in the show notes. Um, and you'll be glad you did. Also, Alex from East to West hunts. You need to get Alex back on the podcast. It's been so busy lately, both of us. Um, but we'll have Alex come on here soon. If you got a hunt plan that you need for whatever your dream, maybe you want to go chase muleys way out of state. Maybe you want to come here to the whitetail state and uh, get on some whitetails. Alex will help you plan it out. Go to eastwesthunts.com. Request a free consultation with Alex. Talk over your goals, dreams, all that stuff. Alex will uh, custom fit a plan for you, and uh, you'll be in so much better shape Uh, going into your out-of-state hunt when you have a good plan put together. It'll even help uh, help you rent gear, give you advice on workouts, all that stuff. Um, Alex will take care of it from uh, start to finish for you. And he can even help you navigate like the tag applications. He'll, he'll even do all that work for you um, and, and uh, help you, uh, you know, stay on online for building points and everything else you got to do for limited draw units. But um, go to eastwesthunts.com. Tell him you heard about him on this podcast and you'll save yourself 10% from any of his services. And finally, you go and shoot something cool. You want it to look cool when you get it mounted. Um, Nobody likes bad taxidermy. Everyone that looks at bad taxidermy says, ugh. And uh, your kids, when after you're dead and you can't make any decisions about all your stuff that you left behind, um, you know, I was thinking today, what a, a good question would be for a guest sometime. What would be something that if your house was on fire, if you had something hunting related that you would grab on your way out the door, I would definitely be my mounts. Um, and that's because they did such a good job with them. But if they didn't look good, it would not be my mounts. You know, I'd probably feel bad about losing the antlers, but I have really good looking mounts. And so, uh, I can credit, old barn taxidermy for doing that and you can too if you uh, shoot something you want to have memorialized you can do a european mount or you could go all the way up do a big full body mount maybe which is just kind of crazy to me but anyways you can get a full body mount and uh, old barn will do it right they'll make it look awesome and uh or even just a shoulder mount classic shoulder mount and they are very affordable in their prices um for bear rugs um, they're like half the price of the other options that Rasty and I looked at a year ago when, when he shot his bear, um, for, 
shoulder mounts. They're well below the national average. And that's simply because Sam wants it to be that way. Um, it's not because he's like, oh, you know, I don't really have time to get to all these mounts, so I'll be cheap and I don't really do it that well. That's not why. Sam told me himself, and Sam has been doing this for like 40 years. He's, he's as professional as it gets. He said, I charge what I charge because I know I have guys coming in here that make like 18 bucks an hour, and uh, they can't afford for it to be more than this, and I don't want them to. I want them to get a good deal and a great mount, and that's why my price is where it is. Now, if you're going to give your money to somebody, give it to somebody like Sam. We need more people like Sam. This world would be a happier, better place. So you can find a link for Old Barn Taxidermy in the show notes and uh, take your trophy there to get it done right. Well, thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in. And uh, stay tuned because uh, later this week you're going to hear an interview from Ronnie on his mule deer hunt. And uh, we'll probably talk about his whitetails. We might talk about why he's missing a finger. Yeah, all that, all that good stuff. But that's coming up uh, soon on this podcast. Thank you again, everyone, for tuning in each and every episode. You're the best. Until next time, take care and take someone hunting.